Welcome back to The Chosen Journey with The Chosen Lawyer and the guy with the name on the back of the jersey, Big Money Grip, Steve Carsey, our resident baseball expert. Steve, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is all around us now. Trade deadline has now passed and we're sitting and watching the pieces unfold. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be back uh, as always. You know, what a fun time it is to... Uh to talk about what's going on in the world of baseball and, and how things have changed coming down the stretch with the last quarter of the season left for these teams to, uh, you know, jockey for their playoff spot, uh, you know, come October. Well, 11,000 people on social media on Instagram thought it was very interesting when we discussed that Shohei Otani to the Yankees was going to make a lot of sense, but that did not come to unfold as uh, we got a lot of curveballs today's episode we're talking about the trade deadline in 2023 and what transpired and Steve I feel like I went to a car dealership and I was promised riches and a vast variety of cars as far as the eye can see and I can pick any model and year I want and I feel like the showroom was pretty bare and I only got to choose from very little selections and the prices are pretty high did you get the same feeling well, starting pitchers were definitely uh, the go-to here, and and the price was extremely high uh, for starting pitchers. No, no matter where you where you went, uh, it's such a premium to to get. But uh, you know, it, it's just it's really hard. There's so many teams that are you know vying for that spot or spots, I should say, with uh, the addition of the wild cards, and and now six teams in each division get to go. Um, so everybody's involved, right? So there's more teams buying now as opposed to a little bit less. And then, uh, you know, these guys get to choose where they want to go with, with uh, no trade clauses and, and things like that. So sometimes teams are limited where they can trade guys, declining trades, uh, things like that. Um, and then you get the best price you can possibly get as you get down to the wire, which, uh, you know, we, we kind of saw with uh, a few of these teams. So now I'll let you all know, advance, you know, Steve and I talk off air and usually we do some analysis beforehand, but purposely I didn't talk to Steve about any of these moves really, because I wanted to hear his views fresh and I know he'll have them. He knows I'll have my views certainly. And looking at that Jersey behind you, that Smoltz Jersey, all I can think about is Smoltz for Doyle Alexander, you know, and how it did work out in the short run there for Detroit, but man, Smoltz would have looked good in the Detroit Jersey being a home guy for many, many years there. Instead, he went on to a wonderful Hall of Fame career. It's the same feeling I'm getting now. There's one trade that sticks out to me that's going to have that kind of Smoltz-Alexander effect, and I think it's going to be that Scherzer trade. I think at the end of the day, trading Okuna's brother uh, for Scherzer, uh, I think that Scherzer is going to have a really nice effect for Texas in the short run, and I'll talk to you in a second why. But I think ultimately the Mets will be very, very happy with their receipt of the prospect they got for him. That was a really high price. Yeah, you know, I mean, talk to me in 10 years, you know, when when it all plays out. You just don't know with prospects. Uh, you know, GMs have their philosophy and certain GMs have one philosophy. Other GMs have, have another. But, uh, you know, I was watching Major League Baseball Network uh, the other day, and, and Steve Phillips was on, and, and XGM, and, you know, uh, he, he made some really good points uh, on prospects and, and in the now. You're never promised next year. You know, you never promised that you're going to go back to the playoffs next year. So when you're in a position to win, 
and you have a few prospects that you think it's win now and how do I add to my team to possibly win a World Series when, you know, not that you're guaranteed to get to the playoffs because things can always go, you know, awry uh, down the stretch. But when when you have a high percentage of getting to the playoffs and, and you're in win mode now, sometimes trading those prospects, uh, you know, hurts and it, it won't work for you in the long run. But at the end of the day, you're trying to win a world championship now because nothing's ever promised, like I said. And, and he made some he made some great points with how he approached it and the mistakes that he made. And uh, it was a, a real interesting watch, to be honest with you. And, and, and I learned a lot from it. Steve's a really intelligent guy. I love watching him, love listening to him on the radio when he's on. He appears quite a bit. And he's a guy I've always felt that if he could go back and talk to his younger self, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. But just his experience out of the game, but watching the game, I think he would have done a lot of things differently. But he operated at the time he was younger, more brash. He had ownership. And we've talked about this a lot. A lot of this is driven by the mandates of ownership, right? And depending on those high-level moves. So maybe not all of it was in his control. But again, really, really smart dude. Um, I was listening to um, Sports Radio actually driving over here today, listening uh, in. And they were analyzing, you know, I hear this a lot on across all networks, you know, everybody's planning already the Braves, you know, world series parade. Like they feel like, so they, they, they put down, so in this particular episode, they put the Braves in their own category. So you got the Braves, then you got the Rangers Astros with the Rays and Orioles. They're another category. And then the Jays start the third category. Now I have my pick of who I think is going to win the world series. Cause you know, I love doing this and my pick in the preseason were the Phillies. We're still going to make the playoffs. I do like the move they made, but if I'm planning a parade right now, having watched them all season, Steve, I really like the Texas Rangers. I really like their makeup. I like what they got going. Uh, I like the depth across. Uh, Now they lost their their starting catcher, Jonah Heim. Uh, They got uh, Austin Hedges in there as a backup. But that being said, you know, uh, you never know in short series, but they certainly stacked themselves up well, I feel, going into the playoffs. Quick thoughts? Yeah, so my, my quick thoughts on that is they're a very good team, right? They're not guaranteed to win the division. The Astros are like a game behind. <laughs> so the Astros are getting a lot of guys back off the, uh, you know, IL. They just traded for Verlander, who's going to shore up their rotation. Fromer Valdez is starting to pitch good. Uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So they're getting guys back and, and they're starting to gel Their Their lineup is really deep. Um, so there's no guarantee that Texas Rangers are going to even win the West. I think they'll be in it till the very end. And I think it's going to come down, but what always comes back to the forefront is experience. The Texas Rangers really don't have, besides Evaldi, right? They don't really have guys who've been to the playoffs and and have that experience. I mean, I'm talking on on the pitching side as opposed to the position player side. You know, I I think Simeon has kind of had dabbled in it. Obviously, Seager has played in it. Uh, But from the pitching side, you know, DeGrom is now out, but he had it. Um, You know, obviously Scherzer has it, but I don't know where Scherzer is going to be at the end of the year. And Evaldi, uh, the bullpen guys, I'm not sure many of those guys have had, uh, you know, you know, Aroldis Chapman, Chapman, I guess, who they traded traded for, right? 
and and add it as an, an acquisition. But, uh, but he's not the chaplain of five, six years ago, certainly. No, he's not. He's you know he wasn't even on the the playoff roster last year for the Yankees. They sent him home because of uh, personal reasons and and uh, you know being a you know not so great teammate. So that always concerns me. Is in a short series, uh, the experience level. Um, I'm sure the the veteran guys who are in there who have had some experience can explain to them. But really, until you're in it until you're in the fire and you know what it's all about. Uh, that's the difference maker for me where Houston has a ton of experience winning world series and being in the playoffs and dry and, and, and thriving under pressure. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a difference there. Um, and again, the, depends who's hot going in. Uh, you know, it, it's a, such a crazy time uh, in my opinion that when playoff time comes, it's a team who's hot and, you know, who has timely hitting and can put the ball in play and not strike out a lot. So, no, I made a list of the moves. Now, there was quite a bit of moves leading up into the trade deadline and then on trade deadline day. But I picked my few selects that I thought were particularly interesting and I was curious on your take on them. And I'll be happy to share my views on them as well. On top of the list for me was Verlander going back to the Astros. And there was rumors of of a few different places he was going to go. I, I love this move on all fronts for Verlander, for the Astros. He shows up. It's like he never left. We just kept everything going. It was just a dream, you know, like if any, if any of you used to watch soap operas back in the 80s, there was a show called Dallas uh, and it was a very big show back on Friday nights. And there was a big, big episode of Who Shot JR, you know, and then there was his brother, Bobby, and Bobby died at some point. And then all of a sudden, one season, Bobby just comes out of the shower. It was all just a dream. Well... Justin Zinn came into the clubhouse. It was all just a dream. He never left. And uh, I got to say, if I were them and looking at different people, I would pay a little more capital simply knowing I know this person gels in my clubhouse. I know where he was at. He knows us. I think there's a nice feeling for that versus somebody who's never been part of the team. Would you agree on that? Yeah, I would agree. But let's be real here. Justin Verlander was driving that train on where he was going to go. The Mets could not trade him to the Baltimore Orioles unless he said so. The Mets couldn't trade him to the Los Angeles Dodgers unless he said so. So his say-so was, I really want to go back to the Houston Astros. I'm super comfortable there. I know what I'm getting into. I know the area. Um, you know, uh, the comfort level is is sky high for him. He was there for five years, won two World Series, uh, Cy Young. It's like, that's just a really good, has a great relationship with Crane, the owner. And at the end of the day, the Mets are paying most of his salary anyways, right? Going back to, to Houston and, and helping them try to win a World Series. So uh, he was driving it at the end of the day. And, you know, I think there were probably two or three teams that were, you know, that he would have waived it because I didn't think he wanted to be in New York if they were going to, you know, push everything back to 2024 and 2025. That's not why he signed there. He won the opportunity to win at the end of his career. And, you know, I just think it worked out for both. Like you said, the return was very good for the, for the Mets and the Mets restocked and reloaded on a lot of these young high end prospects that they hope that can fill in and, and be part of their thing. Um, you know, their run coming next year and in 2025, but uh, I saw a crazy stat that I think the Mets payroll right now is 153 million that they're paying their players, and they're paying 131 million for players who are not playing for them. Dead uh, money with other dead teams. Money. It's dead money. So 
you know, it didn't work out for the Mets the way they had hoped or planned uh, with Scherzer and Verlander and all of that, just by the way they've played. And that's for whatever reasons. But, uh, you know, uh, Cohen decided to go in a different direction with Epler. And, and now they're, you know, I wouldn't say they're back at square one, but I, I just think they are, you know, reloading with prospects and, and those guys are going to have to get experience. Um, you know, the only way you get experience is, going through some rough times and playing in the big leagues and, and learning. And, and that's what will get you over the hump. So uh, I would agree with you. I think the Verlander uh, trade was uh, number one when you can get an impact player like that. And to me, it's a, it's a real difference maker. Like the Astros were always a scary team. They, they seem to do it every time despite losing people, but with Verlander and if Verlander pitches anywhere to the Verlander, the Verlander can be Astros really, really scare me now. Like in a short series, uh, they're looking a lot better, certainly. And, you know, right across town, uh, right on their heels are the Rangers, and they've been there all year. Uh, Love both of the moves as far as getting Montgomery and, of course, getting Scherzer. Now, I got to ask you, you know, we're a pretty politically correct show here. You know, we don't try to, like, step on toes or whatever. I know if Steve Carson was in Scherzer's position and they brought the, the microphones in front of him and said, you know, you signed this contract with the Mets, you know, what it was like, Steve would say, you know, uh, I just take it one game at a time. They really treated me well here. You know, it's unfortunate things worked out this way. You know, it was great coming home, but, you know, I'm really excited for my new teammates. I wish the Mets the best and you would leave gracefully and just be done. Max Scherzer does not choose to go that route. He doesn't knock down doors. He just takes the gasoline and he's like, I'm making my escape and I'm not going to be looking bad on this thing. And I don't know when he said it, if he knew it would create the firestorm that it did. I don't know if he cared. But I don't know, Steve, like they, they sign a contract, you make this deal, you say, I'm going to go talk to the, to the to the president about this or the GM, and then the next day you're traded. It just doesn't have a good look. What was your reaction when Max said, you know, uh, you know, the Mets told me that they're not even going to be ready for next year. They're reloading for a couple of years, so this didn't work out. And the Mets said, hold on a minute here. We never said that. Like, it just, I, I don't know. How did you react? Because I felt it wasn't a very good look. Yeah, I, I just think that there's a lot more that goes into it uh, that are behind the scenes. You know, there's conversations. Again, Max has a no-trade clause, right? They're trying to trade him. They're trying to get prospects back for him. They're trying to retool their team because they've decided to go in the direction that they wanted to go. The season didn't work out the way they wanted to. You know, it's an emotional time. You know, Max is trying to find out information like, are, are you guys going to sign high-end uh, free agents next year or – you know, is it a rebuilding year? Because if it's a rebuilding year, I only signed, I'm only here for this year and next year. And if I don't have a chance to win, I'm at the end of my career. You know, I think it's best if we both part ways. Uh, you know, I, I just think he probably shouldn't have taken a private conversation like that and kind of exposed it the way he did. But, you know, everybody has their, their way of expressing how they feel when they're in front of the media. And, and what to do. And, and that's just Max's way, way of doing it. You know, he was trying to, I think, be upfront and honest, to be honest with you about, you know, what he felt the response was from ownership or the GM on the direction that they were going. And, and he may have misconstrued that, right? I mean, about a full rebuild or just a retool or, you know, how long it's going to take. But he's always looking out for his best interest as well, right? Like he knows the length of his contract. 
he wants to win. He's at the end of his career. There's not many more years he gets a chance to win a World Series. Like those, those are big things for a player when you're at the end of your career. And those are big decisions that you take into account when you sign with a certain team when you're a free agent. His expectation with the Mets was, I'm here for the next three years under this contract to try to win a World Series. And I want to have an opportunity to do that year after year. Now, if you go into the first year and you have that opportunity, which they did, right? Uh, they lost in the first round last year in the playoffs, the Mets. You know, um, then it becomes, okay, this year didn't work out. What, you know, where, where am I going? How's this going to last? Is this a long-term rebuild or a long-term uh, assessment of your club? Or is it just short-term and we're going to retool and I'm going to be part of that retooling? Um, you know, I don't know the inner workings of, how that clubhouse dynamic is and all those guys in there and the way they've been playing and the pressures on them in New York. I mean, there are more expectations in New York to win than there are in other places around the country. That's just the way it is. And that's just a fact. And that's kind of what you sign up for as well. When, when you go to New York to play uh, high expectations, you know, high ceiling. And if you don't, you know, play to those expectations, you're going to hear it and you're going to have to, you know, have accountability to why that's not happening. And, you know, again, at the end of the day, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out in the Mets clubhouse or the Mets on the field and they fell behind. Atlanta is a very good team and they just, you know, dug themselves too big of a hole early in the season. And it's with every team when, when you get to a certain point in August you have a feeling of which way you want to go, uh, you know, and the Mets decided, Hey, we're going to try to get these prospects for these high end players that we have that everybody's looking for. We have two starting pitchers. That's a premium on the market. And we're going to try to do what's best for our club moving forward. And, you know, uh, I know I got off subject a little bit, but I just think that, uh, you know, Max had that expectation of where are we going when he had this conversation he heard something that he didn't necessarily like. And, you know, I think both parties were on the same page that, Hey, if you can trade me to a contender, I'm willing to go and waive that no trade clause and you can get back, you know, whatever you're going to get back in return to, to try to help your club for the future. This is one of those rare instances where I'm actually going to say, if I'm a Mets fan, I don't have anybody to boo in this. I'm not booing Scherzer. I'm not booing Steve Cohen. I'm not booing Epler. I'm not booing the players. This just the way it unfolds and we just had bad luck this year and that's the way it is from the second what happened to edwin diaz and certain guys slumped and certain guys got injured and certain guys aged it the intentions were good like they loaded up on payroll they brought as many stars as they could. i mean heck they tried to get korea in there like they really put in the effort and they understood that they haven't completely this isn't florida marlin style when they're shipped off the whole team. Remember when Sheffield was yeah. gone and then they brought Piazza and everybody's gone? It's not one of those. Certainly, they're keeping the core. They're going to retool. They're, they're loading up the farm system a bit. They're going to, you know, I can see where they're going with it. And there's no guarantees of what's going to happen next year, next year, next year. I mean, you look now where the Braves are at. I mean, like, Lord, there's, they're so scary. I mean, besides Otani, they have the best player in baseball, essentially. And they, they are just so loaded. And the Phillies had their own bad luck, too. But if they had a healthy clubhouse, the Phillies would be right in there. So I'll leave it at this, that uh, I don't blame Scherzer in it. And the Mets knew 
what they were acquiring when they signed him. They knew his personality. They knew his reputation. This guy is a fiery competitor. And with intensity comes good and bad. And that's who he is. But the guy wants to win at the end of the day. I'll say that much. I'll add one more thing to that. Uh, let's know when they look into the future. They got the Braves in that division. And the Braves are in front of them. And they got all of their core players locked up through 2029 or 2030. So the Mets have to do something where they're going to have to try to compete with this team all the way through the 2000s, right? Or the 2020s, I should say. All the way up to 2030, they got, you know, Olsen, Harris, Riley, Murphy. Uh, Yuna. Uh, Albies, Acuna, you know, they have all of these guys who are their core players, you know, signed through, you know, 2028, 2029, 2030. So the Mets have to make a counter move because Scherzer and Verlander are not going to be pitching in 2028 or 2029. I don't believe. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't believe that the Mets would have them come this run. So they got to get younger they got to get more athletic. Uh, they got to get talented players in there, and they got to find a way to compete with the Atlanta Braves, uh, you know, for the next five to seven years with the players that the Braves have. Now, if you're the Texas Rangers, and we talked about when you walked into that Atlanta uh, Braves clubhouse when you first got acquired over there and the feeling and how everybody was excited to see you, in Texas, you know, where they've been at and, you know, essentially having a five, six-man rotation as it is, now they're up to an eight-man rotation almost. Martin Perez was just announced he's going to be going to the bullpen for a little while. But Dane Dunning has been doing very well for them, Yovaldi. And now, all of a sudden, you get these two arms. You know, you get Max Scherzer with his pedigree. And Jordan Montgomery, who's nobody's to sneeze at. I mean, when he got acquired by the Cardinals, he went on that 8-0, 9-0 run. If I'm the Rangers players today, I think I'm pretty happy with my management. Like, they really stocked us up well. You could never have too much pitching, right? You just said it. I mean, that was going to be the first things coming out of my mouth. You create depth. And you can never have too much pitching because you never know, uh, you know, what can happen. You know, you saw the teams, they lose a, a pitcher here or there, and then they're scrambling and they have to fill in a young player in the pennant race, which is really tough to do when, when you're trying to catch somebody. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, obviously it is what it is, but the Rangers made some really nice moves. And, uh, you know, I think it starts with uh, Bruce Bochy with getting the players from spring training, buying into what winning is and how they're going to do it. And, you know, he probably laid out a plan from spring training on the players bought in and they're in the position that they're in right now. And, you know, Chris Young in the front office went out and, you know, fired a few shots and got the players that they needed and gave them a jolt of energy uh, coming down the stretch, uh, which is, is always a nice thing when you're a player uh, in August, um, to, to get some reinforcements to help you throughout the rest of the season. That Rangers team reminds me of the Yankees teams of old in that they have their starting nine, they got the rotation, they have their closer, and they have a lot of backups to every position. Somebody gets injured, somebody is slumping. They got a lot of depth on that team. That's a really strong, you know, one through 25. So really excited what they're going to do. And those are really big moves. Now, Looking at other teams, a lot of them did these one-offs. You know, they acquired other little pieces, but there were some that particularly stuck out to me. The first one being Jordan Hicks going to the Jays. My first question to you is, if Romano's not injured, do you think they still acquire him? Your gut? Uh, yeah, I do. I think that 
to have a power arm at the back end of the bullpen, whether it's to fill in in the seventh inning, eighth inning, or get the ball to Romano. Uh, absolutely. Whenever you can acquire players like that, uh, and other teams are going to give them up as long as they fit your mold and they fit into what you're trying to accomplish and, and what, you know, needs that you have as a team. Uh, I, I think it's always a, a good fit to make, make trades like that. And obviously payroll. I mean, I don't think the Jays worry about payroll as much as some other teams do, but as long as it fits within, you know, the scope of your payroll and, and, and the needs that your team needs to, to try to finish strong and, and secure a spot in the playoffs. The rumors that the Jays were looking at the Oscar a re- a reunion with him. If uh, Seattle called and said, you know what, we'll take Swanson back and uh, we'll give you uh, the Oscar. I think the Jays hang up on that one. I think the Jays are really happy with that bullpen arm. And I see that world series Kansas city team where they had three closers, essentially it's not a bad recipe, Steve, when you don't have to worry about the seventh, eighth, nine, and you have that murderers row in the bullpen, that's kind of what they're going for. And if you have enough pitching and you hope that three of your starters stay hot for the playoffs, Jays may in fact be a scary team. You know, those teams that slump in the middle-ish and then all of a sudden get hot right before the playoffs, you know, those are the ones that, uh, you know, tend to be, you know, except for the Braves, of course, because the Braves have just been consistent all year. But I've, I, we've seen every other team. We've seen the Orioles. We've seen the Rays, right? Get hot, slump, get hot, slump. And the question is, when are they going to slump? When are they going to get hot? Because you can't do this for 162 games, right? Pretty much. No, you can't do it for 162 because in the playoffs, to be honest with you, you probably have a seven-man pitching staff. You know, you have your A team and your B team. When you're winning, your starter goes five, and then you have your four A guys pitch. You know, six, seven, eight, nine, or if the starter goes six, seven, eight, nine, and that's the recipe, right? If you have a starter go four, and then you can have a guy there. If you're losing, then you use your other guys, and you save the next guys for the time that you're winning. But uh, you know, the way the playoffs are set up and the off days and all of that, guys can pitch just about every day. Two days on, one day off, two days on, one day off, uh, or, you know, two days on, a day off, three in a row, and then you get a rest after that. So, um, you know, they stock up on power arms, they stock up on bullpen help, and then the guys who are pitching the best are going to get those high leverage situations once you get into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, you hope that they're able to come through and, and have the opportunity to uh, – pitch well throughout a, a, a one-month period. Jack Flaherty to the Orioles, their division rivals. Uh, was sure they were going to get an arm. I thought they were going to get Lorenzen. Flaherty, you know, ha- has had his ups and downs. But again, you can't have too much pitching. Uh, I think the Orioles did a smart move here, and that may be enough to overtake the Rays because the Rays have been ravaged by injuries. I mean, considering how many arms the Rays have lost. I mean, they're, they're the example right now. I mean, uh, more guys, have, I think McClanahan just went on the deal, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So he did, he did. It, it, they, if all their arms were healthy, wow. But like, they, I feel like the Rays pitching staff is a San Francisco 49ers quarterback situation, you know, in the playoffs. Like, so if Flaherty stays healthy, uh, I think that this could be the difference maker now for the Orioles as far as overtaking the Rays, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Flaherty is a really sneaky move, to be honest with you. I don't think he was great for the last couple of years. He's had some injuries. Um, you know, I I think, and hopefully he has turned the corner. I watched him pitch against the Jays a little bit on TV yesterday. And, uh, you know, he was anywhere from five to seven at times on the radar gun, which is the best I've seen him uh, since he was in the division when I was coaching there with the Brewers, 
from, uh, you know, from the time he got hurt. In 19, he was fantastic. Uh, 20 and 21, I think he was hurt a little bit. And he had, you know, some bumps and bruises coming in. But I think he's turned the corner. I think he looks like he's he's fairly healthy. His breaking stuff looked pretty crisp. And his fastball looked really good. He was a tick or two up. So maybe it's a, a sneaky move that the Orioles got him. He's got some experience in the playoffs. Uh, you know, it, it's something that the Orioles needed. And, you know, the, don't underestimate the Orioles. Like, they're, they're a team to be reckoned with and and that's a team that in my opinion can go to toe to toe with the texas rangers when it comes to swinging the bats and uh you know back into the bullpen evo if the orioles and the rangers do face off there's gonna be a massive bet placed and i'm gonna expect that brings truck pulling up to my driveway because <laughs> but you know what i i've been watching some orioles games lately they just keep grinding at you they don't stop uh, you can see the roster construction. You can see the management on the field. They don't stop. They've been they were watching a lot of Japanese WBC, I think, because they just are in it every at bat. They smart base running. It's a smart fundamental team. I agree with you. Actually, they are very scary. Yeah. So I I correlate them to the Atlanta Braves. They have a young core. Yeah. Is going to be uh you know a mainstay in that division for the next four or five years. Uh, as long as they continue to develop and, and sign free agents in, in the pitching department because their young players, uh, you know, are really good and they're only going to get better as they uh, get more experience. As long as they can lock them up, as long as they can pull out the checkbook and they can figure out their whole TV situation with the Nationals, but that's another story for another day. Uh, the Padres, what the heck happened there? Now, I thought we were going to see a big sell-off we thought we we're going to see your guy, Hater, get traded. And lo and behold, nope, we're going to acquire another closer, another arm. You can't have too much pitching, right? Interesting arm. Scott Barlow has been the Royals' fairly consistent closer all year. And Rich Hill, the man who just bathes in the fountain of youth and just keeps finding a way. Uh, I like these moves, actually. Uh, having watched the Padres, you know that lineup is scary. If that lineup goes anywhere where it should... That is one scary team. I like both of these acquisitions, and they heat up at the right time. That's a team you do not want to face in the playoffs. No way. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Barlow is exactly what you said. He's an acquisition. They can fill in the sixth and seventh inning and get that uh, ball to the guys in the eighth and Hader in the ninth, right? I mean, that's kind of, at the end of the day, what you're looking for. You go out and you acquire an arm, as in Barlow, and you stick him in the middle of the game to – to pass the baton and then Rich Hill is just a, for me, just a depth move, <clears throat> help them get through the playoffs because once you get to the playoffs, you know, you're going to have those, you know, top three or four, three or four guys in, in the rotation, uh, you know, with Darvish and Snell and, and those guys Musgrove, starting yeah. those. Yeah. Musgrove yes. starting those games. I don't think Rich Hill is going to jump in, in that, but he could be a bullpen guy and be a long man in case something gets out of hand and, and does that. But, for the rest of the season, you can plug him into the rotation. He can chew up innings and protect some other guys' arms, and hopefully they can make a run and see if they can get in the playoffs. Modern-day Chris Bosio. Just, uh, he can go Swiss Army knife, you know, can go do a spot start, long relief, can pitch near the near the uh, end of the game. Just a really useful guy to have around. The Marlins, I think, pulled off a really good heist early on. I think a lot of teams were really, really upset with the Mets because I was shocked to see Robertson get moved so early as he did. 
There's a lot of teams that can use David Robertson for sure. I thought that he would be heading to Toronto or Baltimore or Tampa and the Marlins just snagged him up in the division. Uh, I think it's a really good depth move for them, especially if they hope to get anywhere into the playoffs. Then Jake Berger, Josh Bell, you know, these are not names that necessarily excite you, but Berger has been pretty good for the White Sox this year. And Josh Bell has that experience. So I guess uh, more depth. Uh, they're a little lighter on the hitting side, and Marlins may surprise some people. Yeah, I agree. I think they're, uh, again, a couple sneaky acquisitions. They got a back-end arm. They got a switch hitter, a middle-of-the-lineup switch hitter, and then they got a power right-handed bat. Um, you know, I think it's all needs that they wanted to acquire, and, and they checked those boxes. Now it's up to the players to go on the field and finish out the season and see if they can – you know, obviously sneak into one of those three wild card spots because they're not going to catch uh, the Atlanta Braves in that division. They're just going to have to figure out how to, uh, you know, hold on and 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 squeak into the wild card because uh, I think they're just they're on the outside looking in right now. Now the move that I really liked personally because I've watched a lot of his starts this year with Detroit was Michael Lorenzen, and Detroit. You know, there was a lot of talk about him and Rodriguez and where they're both going to go. I think the Phillies did a really smart move. Lorenzman is so solid for them all year. He doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but pretty much you can always see the same stat line. Six, seven innings, one or two runs, very uh, given up, very little walks, very little strikeouts, just been very, very consistent. He's like a, a great like number three or number four guy to put into a rotation, exactly what the doctor ordered for Philadelphia. As long as he can get along with the Philadelphia fans, uh, I, I think that the Phillies are going to be really, really happy with this acquisition. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's exactly what they needed. They needed another spot in the rotation to chew up some innings, um, you know, and he's a guy who can do that. Uh, I think he has the temperament, uh, you know, for Philadelphia, um, you know. Long hair, brash. Of, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's just one of those guys that you look at and you, you'd say, hey, he's from Philly, you know, uh, you know. So I, I think he's going to fit in fine there. Uh, again, Philly is just one of those teams. They're not going to catch the Braves. So they are got their eye on a wild card spot, and they're trying to do everything that they can. And, you know, there's another GM there that they say, you know, hey, if we can win this year, we're going to add to it, and we are going to, you know, try to secure a spot in the playoffs because, as Philly showed you last year, they were the number six team, right? They snuck in and, and, and beat out my Milwaukee Brewers the last day of the season or the last couple games of the season, they snuck into that wild card in the sixth spot and they got to the world series. So that's just part of it. I mean, you get in, you get hot, you get a chance. Like those are the three things that, uh, you know, are, are the mainstays. You got to get in, you got to get hot and then you got to give yourself a chance. And, um, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. I got to say, Phillies did well getting him. The Jays did really well getting Hicks. The Marlins did really well getting Robertson. I thought those guys would be auctioned off at even higher prices than they were. I'm not saying that discounting whatever the prospects were. But, uh, again, with with so little moves and so so many teams still thinking they're still in it with the extra wild card, uh, it was actually somewhat surprising to see even as many moves as we saw. The last one, which we thought was for sure going to happen, did not happen. He was beating out the world in the first half at Water Rodriguez for the Detroit Tigers. A move that I said was the most ridiculous, one of the most ridiculous contracts I ever saw. 
And when they first signed him, and I'm eating my words because he put it all together, but he decided for his family that it was not the right decision to leave Detroit and go to Los Angeles. I think him and Kid Rock, maybe Eminem are the only people who have ever said that. But Steve, uh, a little shocking that that happened. I mean, I, and for the first point, wouldn't they normally sit down with Rodriguez and figure this out before making a trade and coming to say, oh, by the way, we made the trade. Now can you just waive it? What happened there in your estimation? Well, that's a different story in my in my opinion. You know, he has a trade, a no trade clause with 10 teams, right? And before the season, you're allowed to put 10 teams on a list that you do not want to get traded to. And, you know, when you're a front office, you never know who's going to call. You never know. And then until you can make a deal with that team, uh, you know, you, you kind of just wait until you have a deal in place and then, if it's on his list, you go to him and say, hey, we have a trade. This is where we want to send you. Uh, and usually it works out because usually there's a clause in the contract where you're going to get paid more money if you get traded. There's a clause in the contract with the no trade is you're going to go to a better team, uh, you know. Uh, and for whatever reason, you know, he decided to stay in Detroit than to give himself a chance to go and get in the playoffs and have an opportunity to win a World Series, you know. Um, you know, there must have been something – underlying there with how he likes Detroit and how they treat him and how much his family likes it. Obviously, uh, you know, he's, he's probably didn't want to go to the West coast. It's a little bit further travel for maybe his family. And I don't know if his boys or girls are going to school in Detroit. And so I don't know the underlying things. Um, sometimes, you know, I think his contract, he still has what three or four years left on that. But he can opt out at the end of the season. Yeah, but at the end of the day, are you going to leave that much money on the table and opt out when you know you can't get more money or the length of that contract? You know. Well, this is where you come to Detroit and you say, uh, can we add on an extra year? We've seen this before. And you kind of get opt out of the contract, but then you kind of opt into a slightly better contract. Let's see. It'd be... Well, that would be Detroit, right? But Detroit yeah. wanted to trade him. So, yes. you know, at the end of the day, he's going to have to you know, go to Dodgers and then opt out. Now you opt out of that contract. Those years of money is wiped out. And then you go back and look at the history of what he's done the last three or four years and his injuries and all of that. Now, are you going to be able to get four years and 40 something million, or are you going to get that one year and 10 million and leave 30 million on the table? So there's a lot of things that uh, play into why you're going to go somewhere, why you're not, you know, and whether you're going to opt out or not, you know, I mean, Omar Navarez, I'm just going to bring him up because I read this, you know, he has a player, a player option for next year, seven and a half million dollars. Do you think he's going to opt out of that seven and a half million dollars with the season that he had and go on the free agent market and try to get more money than that? No players. No. That's why a player option is so valuable because you know how you've done, you know what your numbers are over the last three or four years, and you know what type of value you're worth. And if that value is not more than what your contract has, you ain't opting out. You'd be silly to opt out of a contract like that. Crunch the numbers. I, I did do this thinking at the time. I believe he will opt out and he'll get the same term and he's going to get at least $10 million more. I'm almost going to guarantee you this is going to happen in my feeling, but I've spent a lot of time in Detroit. Besides the Toronto ballpark, I've spent the most amount of time in Comerica in my life in baseball. I got to say, one of the nicest ballparks, 
one of the best fan bases. It is one of the best experiences. Uh, I've sat outside that bullpen, watched pitchers warming up. Um, I'm not shocked from a baseball experience that once you fall in love with Detroit, you want to keep playing in Detroit. It is a real baseball city, a lot of history. So maybe that's part of it. Don't know. But you're not going to win. You're not going to win. At the end of the day, do you like the do you like the ballpark and do you like the experience? Do you want to lose ninety five to hundred games a year, or do you want to go to a place to pitch and compete and win? Like those are the things that you gotta look at as a player. Like it's hard. I've lost close to hundred games on a team. It is so deflating that you cannot understand how miserable you are losing every day. It sucks. So when you have the opportunity to go to a place and have an opportunity to win on a yearly basis, that's what you want as a player. I mean, I understand signing that first big contract and securing your family is important. But once you have that, I think it comes down to how much you want to win. I love the rants. You know, I love my rants. So that was, that was an epic one. So that was a good Steve rant. And I have looked at the numbers in Dodger stadium. I've seen pitchers tend to have pretty good numbers there. So I was a little surprised as well that he wouldn't select, but these, these, these lists, when you have like no, no trade of 10 teams, five teams, a lot of people would send to put for some reason, the Dodgers and Yankees, because they know that they're the ones who are going to pay the most. Maybe, he wanted an extra sweetener, and that sweetener was available. Don't know. Don't know if we'll ever know. But I will tell you this much. When he does come back to pitch for the Dodgers in the fut- in Dodger Stadium in the future, because presumably he won't sign with them, he may hear a couple of boos. He might. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, if, if you have thin skin and you let that bother you, then you probably made the right decision not go to Dodger Stadium in the first place. If somebody had me a $50 million contract, I don't care if they booed me all day long when I walk the streets, Steve. So we'll leave it at that. We got two weeks coming up now with some exciting, exciting topics. And I have one for Steve in a couple weeks' time. A big, big surprise because I know what Steve likes and he's uh, going to have a big smile on his face. But you're going to have to wait a couple weeks for that, folks. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week with The Chosen Journey. And you never know what direction we're heading down. Great show. Good to be with you.